This morning we're uh, continuing our series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We've uh, arrived at the first ingredient of that fruit, Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And I want us to start right there. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And let's consider uh, just what love is. Of course, you know, we're all experts at love, right? You know, we, 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 at least we think we are. Um, it reminded me of a song the kids sing, a Judy Rogers song based on Proverbs 6. And uh, Proverbs 6 talks about uh, the analogy of go to the ant. The ant's a little creature, but gets a lot done. And so the song says, go to the ant, you imitator, go to the ant. And I was hearing a little kid sing that song one day, and I said, what did you just say? And the kid said, go to the ant, you and the tater, go to the ant. And it reminded me that, you know, we oftentimes sing stuff and we don't have a clue really what we're singing about or what we mean. We all have sung a lot of songs about love. Do we really have a clue what it's all about? And I'm not sure we can get it all in in, in a message, but there's something going on in the Word of God when it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, there's something going on that is distinctly the fruit of the Spirit. It's not non-Christian love. It's not a love that's going to come to you whether you're saved or not, whether you're Christian or not. This that God is talking about is specifically a fruit of the Holy Spirit being in us. So somehow we've got to kind of erase the memory that the love we're talking about is not just something you pick up on television or radio or wherever. It's something you pick up through the Spirit of God. What is it? And for lots of things, we may use the same language as the world and the world may use the same language as the church. doesn't matter where, where it comes from. But we're talking about two different things. For the example, the word Christian today. Lots of people say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. We're talking about two different things. When we use the same word. How is it with the word love? The fruit of the Spirit is love. I want us to first of all look at First uh, John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. A classic passage on love for Christians. First John 4. So you and the tater turn with me to 1 John 4. Beginning verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is, don't miss the word from, from God. And everyone who loves is born, don't miss the word of, of God. And knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us. 
that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Classic passage. Two or three things you you immediately notice there. First of all, where does this love that God's talking about come from? It comes from God. He said, beloved, you need to love one another, and this love is from God. That's consistent with Galatians 5.22. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So, what is the source of your love? Your love for me. My love for you. Where does that come from? What's its foundation? Where does it originate? From God. I didn't muster this up. You didn't work it up. If we have the kind of love God's talking about, it is a love that comes from Him. He provides it. It's... It's not just a gift, though. It's not something He just gives to us. It goes on and it says, not only is it's love from God, but it says, uh, verse 8, God is love. So not only is it, is it from God, but it is of His very essence. It's of His nature. Love is God. So if we have this love that He gives to us, we have part of God. We have part of His essence. We have what is called divine nature. You see, we begin to see the non-Christian can't possibly have this. This is something granted to those who belong to God, those who have been born again. Those who have been transformed in nature to be like God. Little Christ Christians. So as we possess the Spirit in us, we get the nature of God in us. And that fruit is seen in love. We have a love that's from God. We have a love that is of God's essence. And thirdly, we have a, a love that's manifested not only to us, but through us because of our faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit. It's, it's there too. First uh, John, I lost my place. Let me get back. I get excited. First uh, John chapter 4. Uh, by this, verse 9, the love of God was manifested in us. How? That God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So, and, and then it goes on. Uh, and this is the love, not that, the, that uh, we loved God, but that He loved us, sent His Son to be the propitiation. So he, he, he takes God's wrath for us, connects us to God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Because He's, he's transformed us. He's changed us. He sent Christ to be in us. And to work through us. So this love we have is, is, is distinctive. It's, it's, it's divine because it's from God. It's of God. It's 
manifested by God. He chooses to use us as his vessels to communicate his love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the Spirit's work in our life flowing through us, uh, granting us something. You know, does it make any difference if we come to faith in Christ? Well, yeah. We immediately are transformed. And we begin a path of loving God and loving one another differently with a love that's from God, a love that's of God, a love that's by God, a love that's through faith in Christ, a love that is manifested as the Spirit, draws us to Christ, conforms us to His image. It shows forth in how we love uh, one another. Well, as philosophers have sought to try to understand this distinction, one of the uh, philosophers that uh, did a good job and the world's kind of grabbed onto it was the old famous philosopher Plato. And Plato said there's three kinds of love. Now, people just really like that. He says, and of course he's speaking in Greek, so he uses the Greek word. There's, there's eros, which we translate erotic love or sensual love or romantic love. There's eros love. And then there's phileo, the Greek word for brotherly. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So he says there's erotic love. That's one kind. And then there's brotherly love. That's another kind. And then there's agapao or agape love. That's divine love. That's the love that comes from God. And a lot of people have grabbed onto that and said, well, there seems to be these three categories of love. There's, when I have love between a husband and wife, that's the erotic love. Love between two sisters or two brothers, that's phileo, the brotherly love. And these church folks seem to have this divine love. Uh, love of God, from God, by God. And that's agapao. The, the, and I used to just really jump all over that and try to categorize my love. Until um, I was reading John one day, John 5, verse 20, and it uh, changed my thinking. John chapter 5, verse 20, it says this, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Okay, here we have God the Father loving God the Son. What kind of love is that? What's the category? If, if we go with Plato, that has to be agape. Because it's the divine father loving the divine son. So it has to be divine love. Well, back when I knew Greek and studied Greek, I was reading this. Uh, I've forgotten everything I know on that. And it just blew me away. It's not agape. It's phileo. You can look it up. So God the Father phileos God the Son. Say, whoa, 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 that's wrong. Or maybe Plato's wrong. And God's word's not wrong at all. You see, what Plato missed is that as Christians who have the fruit of the Spirit, when we have sensual love 
between a husband and a wife. It's divine. And when we have brotherly love between two sisters or two brothers, it's divine. And when we have worship, it's divine. There's no way we can escape the fruit of the Spirit, whether we're in a physical, sensual realm, or whether we're in some other realm. As Christians, we have, by nature, the essence of God in us. All of our love, in every category, is to be a spiritual, divine love. So we can use the words, eros and agape and phileo, we can use them interchangeably because for us, and God uses it interchangeably here, for us, it's all divine. It's of God's essence and nature and it's by Him and for Him and through Him. So do we really have a clue when we talk about love that what I offer to you today, God, what I offer to you, brothers and sisters, or even to my wife, it's divine in its essence. It's something I could not give you before Christ saved me and transformed me. Now what I can give you is far superior than what I could have ever given you before. Because now God is doing something in my life that's transforming to provide a ministry both to God and to people differently than could have ever been provided before. And you say, explain that. Well, it's a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is now in me. And the Spirit is producing stuff in and through me. And one of those things the Spirit produces is love. So I want us to go a little beyond that even and begin to think about this fruit that the Spirit produces. It's this divine love that God gives us and lets us uh, be the vessel for and use of. It's, it's, it's a love that's controlled by the Spirit, compelled Beyond selfishness, constrained by the Savior, ceaseless in bad surroundings. Let's look at that. First of all, a love that's controlled by the Spirit. Uh, look at Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. Ezekiel 36. And I, I picked this passage just because there's one word here that makes it really clear what happens when the Spirit comes in. Ezekiel 36. Sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And notice what happens. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you, and then underline this next part, and calls you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. So what happens? The Spirit controls us. The Spirit causes us. You say, why, why are you going to church now? 
well, I don't know. Uh, I want you. Uh, why are you keeping the first commandment to have no other gods before him? Uh, well, I want to. Something's changed. Yeah. My heart's changed. I have an appetite for it. I have someone controlling me. I do stuff I didn't used to want to do. Uh, I'm being controlled. The Spirit is causing me to keep God's commandments. Whereas before, I, I found lots of pleasure in just breaking them. But now I don't find pleasure in breaking them. Because to break them is not showing respect to the one who made them, God. It's not showing him love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love to God. And so the Spirit must control me to love God. And the Spirit does. It's, there's this love within me. It's a controlling love. And it's a, it's, it's a love that enables me to keep God's commandments. Look at another passage. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12 through 16. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 2. And, and, and here you see, I, I shared this in Dawn a few weeks ago. You see all suspicion of the truth of the Word of God go out the window when the Spirit of God comes into us. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 12, says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, but a natural man, it's the non-Christian, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolish to him, and he cannot understand them, because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What is he saying? So when the Spirit of God comes into us, then we immediately recognize the Word of God as the Word of God. Because the Spirit recognizes it as the Word of God. The Spirit knows how to talk to God as God would speak to God. That's what He does with our prayers. He takes them and translates them to God as the Father, as God would speak to God. Romans 8 gives us that comfort. And here what the Spirit does is the Spirit, not the Spirit in non-Christians, the Spirit that's in Christians enables us to say, that's the Word of God. That's God speaking. We're, we're transformed to immediately begin to recognize God's talk to us. You know, people don't love you if they can't trust your words. You can't love others if you can't trust their words. You can't have that intimacy. You, you know, you can give them love, but that, that intimate exchange that I'm talking about is, is built on a faith in, in words, a faith in the truthfulness. And God knows for us to love Him, for Him to demonstrate His love for us, there, there has to be this, this faith in His Word. There has to be a trust 
I hear you, God. The Spirit creates that. He controls us in such a way we hear God speak and we say, that's my God talking to me, directing me, controlling me. And he controls us by our faith in and through the Word of God. So we, we get controlled by hearing God's talk, like the Ten Commandments. And now we're, he causes us to keep them because we, we hear them, we trust that this is God's pleasure. This is God's way for us. And it controls us. You know how the, non, the non-Christian tries to control his behavior? Most of us are Skinnerians. Uh, B.F. Skinner says you know, we, have to, we have to control our environment. Um, and so if we're struggling with uh, uh, pornography, immorality, different things, control your environment. Get out of any kind of situation that um, you're prone to fall into sin. You know, turn the television off, put the computer in public places, put all these guards and protections on to control yourself, to control your emotions, to control your passions. Make sure your associations with, you know, with certain people, you, know, you just keep controlling environment after environment, switch classes, switch schools, do all of these things to control the environment. Now, I realize a lot of that's prudent. And I'm not against prudence. But it misses the power of the Holy Spirit who controls us according to the Word of God. When we get the Word of God into our hearts and lives, and the Spirit is there talking to us and convicting us, this is the right way, go this way. This is God's command, do this. Regardless of our environment, regardless of our surrounding, regardless of where we find ourselves, we we are controlled. It's a controlling love, it's a beautiful thing. That doesn't mean we don't fall into sin and stray, but when we do fall into sin and stray, we find ourselves in this place of emptiness. We find ourselves in this place where we said, you know, God's just not here. And we find we, we want to go back to that place where God is speaking, where, where, where God's presence is. And so we turn from sin and we run back, and that's also a part of this control. The Spirit is giving us. So He gives us this power, this strength of, 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 of life to go in a righteous direction. Even when we stumble, it's a turn back to a righteous direction. The beauty, the benefit of the love of God in us controlling us. Second, I want you to see, not only is this the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, not only does it control us, but it compels us beyond ourselves. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, the love chapter. (coughs) Excuse me. Love, verse 4, is patience, kind, not jealous, does not brag, it's not arrogant. Verse 5, does not act unbecoming, does not, here's the phrase I want us to focus on, does not Seek its own. This love that God gives us is a love that does not seek its own. Seek its own what? Seek its own pleasure. 
Seek its own self. God has given us a love where our first thought is not, well, what will it do for me? What will I get out of it? But we have the Spirit saying, love that person. And we say, why? Because it's good for them. So it compels us beyond us, not what do I get, but what do they get? What can I do for them? What does it do for God? What does it do for others? That becomes our focus more than what does it do for us. Because the love God has given us, it's not like the world. It's not a love that seeks itself. It's a love that seeks after building up God and man, building up the glory of God, building up man and woman in every way. It's, it's, it's our desire to, to minister to them. Now think about that uh, phrase that Jesus told his disciples. It's in John 13, 35, you know it, where it says, the world will know you by your love, right? And, and, and that whole chapter, John 13, that's the chapter where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And they're just like, what's going on here? Why is the most important person in the room our master, they call him? Why is he stripping down, stooping down, and washing dirty feet? And Jesus says, I'm, I'm trying to demonstrate, by way of example here, how you will serve one another. How you will care about one another. How you will love one another. And the people outside us, the world, they will look at you and say, Behold! The people of God. Why? Because they're not interested in themselves. They're loving, they're caring for, they're ministering to others who are dirty and messy at times. But no matter, they demonstrate a love that is beyond self. Consistently. So much so that the world would say, you know, that's, we don't have that. When I go into the world, I, I want to know what I get, what's in it for me, how it helps me. Those folks are always figuring out ways to help others. And that's different. And that's how we'll be known. And why will we be known for that? Because that's a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit controls us. And the Spirit is compelling us beyond selfishness. <coughs> you know, um, you've probably all had this experience. I was at checkout counter, and uh, as they were giving change back, it was just $10 too much. Well, it's easy to throw in another 10 I mean, you know, I looked at it. Said, no, that's too much. You need to, to refigure that or whatever. And they looked at it and said, you're right, it's $10 too much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the checkout person said, why would you do that? I didn't have a good answer. I, well, it's just, you know, I said something quaint, like, oh, it's, it's just the right thing to do. But in reality, well, it is the right thing to do. In reality, I'm compelled. I mean, be selfish to take money from you. I know when you do the accounting at the end of the day, somebody has to give an account for being $10 short. 
I don't know at that place whether they take it out of the clerk's pay or if, you know, she eventually gets fired if she has that too many times or, or what. But I know there's an accounting. And it's just, it, it's wrong, it's, it's theft. That's a command of God. It's, it's wrong, it's, it's selfish, it's greedy. It's, it's just so many ways that's wrong. And you don't, as a Christian, you don't even think about it. You just, you know, I just, you just give it. No, this is wrong. Get, take this back. You're, you're, you're compelled to do that. I was trained to do that as a non-Christian. But I didn't do it as a non-Christian. I snuck out the <laughs> got ten dollars. You know, I'd sneak out and say, "Ha ha, yes!" It's probably the only time I praise God. Thank you, God. Ha ha! I just walked away with ten easy ones, and they gave it to me. Yep. When the Spirit transforms you, you, say, you don't even think that way. You said, "No, oh, that's just wrong." The Spirit is compelling us beyond ourselves. Love seeks to edify and build up. You know the passage in Philippians, again, chapter 2, verse 5, that consider one another as more important than yourself. That's, Christ, that's divine love. Whether it's in the erotic realm, the brotherly realm, or some other realm, we consider others more important than ourselves. What can we give? How can we build them up? How can we minister to their needs? Where does that come from? The fruit of the Spirit. Controlled by the Spirit, compelled beyond selflessness. See the constraining work of the Savior. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. Love this passage for many reasons. And the language here is similar to what I've been saying. There's overlap, but I just want you to begin to see the... Dynamic difference of the love God's given us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. Strong passage. The, the, the love of Christ that's within us. It, is, it constrains us to live differently, not for selves, but for Christ. We are transformed in our living, constrained by now Christ. I, you know, I've preached on this in, in, in marriage setting, and people say, no, 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 you can't say that. You can't ever tell your, your wife or your husband that the reason you love them is because you have to. Because, you know, Christ just constrains you. Christ has transformed you. And so now you, you just have to, to love them. Because Christ does that. Why can you not ever tell them that? Because they don't want to hear that. They want to hear, I love you because you're so beautiful. I love you because you're so wonderful. I love you because you're so rich. You know, I love you because of whatever. But what happens when the automobile accident takes away all beauty and physical form? What happens when Alzheimer's disorients and this person's no longer smart? 
are happy. Then I say, I don't, and they say to you, why do you love me? You said you always loved me because I was beautiful, because I was smart, because I had it going on. Why do you love me? And I say, because I have to. Because I'm constrained to. Because it is my nature to love you. I am possessed by the Spirit of God to love you eternally. To love you without fail. To love you regardless of whether I get anything from it. I love you. I'm constrained to love you. I'm compelled to love you. I'm controlled to love you. My love will never cease for you. That's the kind of love this nation was founded on. Believers saying our vows constrain us to keep our word. We do what we do because it is our nature to do it. And we've missed that today. Where we've got lovers saying, I'll love you as long as my love shall last. Well, then I don't want it. It's worthless. I want a love that's part of your nature. And it's constrained and controlled by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Because that kind of love will be with me in better or in worse. In rich or in poverty. That's the kind of love the Spirit of God gives us, friends. It's it's distinct, distinguished from the rest of the world. And when we have it and it's manifested through us, the world will see it. The world needs us badly because they need a group of people who are not selfish. If we're all selfish, we will self-destruct. The world doesn't know how badly it needs the position of the church in its realm. They want to squeeze us out, and yet they need us so badly. Because we're the ones who will serve without thinking what's in it for me. A love that's controlled by the Spirit, compelled beyond selfishness, constrained by the Savior ceaseless in bad surroundings. Philippians 4.11, the Apostle Paul makes this statement, and you've, again, another classic passage where he says, I'm content in all things, regardless of my circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. So that means his love is going to be ceaseless even when the circumstances turn sour. Even when the circumstances are bad. What was that secret? That secret was Christ in him. It's the spirit of God in him. It produces a fruit that's fruitful in its season. It it just keeps on producing. It's ceaseless even when bad things happen. It's, you know, instead of saying, "I, I will love you as long as my love shall last. How about, I will love you as long as the spirit will last. The Spirit of God. Wow. That's powerful. That's strong. That means you will love me when it gets bad, when it gets ugly, when it gets messy. You're still going to love me. The fruit 
from your life will still be love. It doesn't become dysfunctional just because bad things happen. Think of it this way. When, when I get a scratch or cut and I'm bleeding somewhere, my heart doesn't quit ble- beating. Circumstances have turned bad and ugly and painful, but my heart's still beating. And our love for one another, for God, is the same way. Circumstances can turn really bad and painful, but our hearts of love keeps on beating. It's ceaseless because the Spirit is in us, working through us, um, even though the circumstances are bad. You, You know, when Christ was on the cross, that's bad. Circumstances are terrible. Everybody's against him, spitting at him, mocking him, ridiculing him. He's continuing to love. Father, forgive them. Bunch of dummies. I don't know what they're doing. He continues to, to love, regardless of how bad, miserable, painful the circumstances. That's the nature of God. And that nature is in us through the Spirit of God. Well, sing your songs of love. And let's grow in our understanding of a love that's been constrained by Christ, controlled by His Spirit to be ceaseless and selfless in every way. Let me pray for us. Father, it's so easy to uh, really talk about love and not get down to what we need to do and Lord, what we need to do is, is, is repent of embracing an imitation of love. Help us to see more and more the world's trying to imitate us. We don't need to imitate them. They don't have what we want. Your Spirit has what we want, what we need. And we... The world, what the world needs today is, is, is love, but not just any kind of love. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We ask, oh God, that you would cause us to be born again, born of the Spirit. That you would draw us to yourself, and that you would so transform us by your Spirit that there's never any doubt whose we are that we love our God and we love His church. We love one another in such a way the world can see the light set on a hill. They can see how glorious our God is by the way He transforms us in love. We ask, Father, that You forgive us of our sins, make us loving vessels for You and for one another. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.